Welcome to the Collective Scope Podcast, where we talk to great leaders who are influencing the next generation. Welcome back to the Collective Scope Podcast, Rob. We are back in your palatial studio of your oh. office. <laughs> palatial. <laughs> but we, uh, we are excited to be here because we have a great guest with us today, Addison Bevere. Uh, yes. He's the CEO of Messenger International, an organization that impacts millions of people in over 150 countries through various initiatives. And more importantly, I think, to me, the co-founder of Sons and Daughters, uh, an organization, and they have some of the coolest swag. Have you seen their swag? I've been shopping <laughs> on the swag, so I need a little, I need a little swag boost. We, yeah, maybe. That's what we're in this for, the swag. Yeah, so, swag boost. So, um, but Addison, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. It's great to be on here. Yeah, we have to get yeah. y'all some swag. Oh, you listen. Show's over. Show's, there it is. Show's All over. Mission, mission accomplished. My yeah. work here is done. That's right. Yeah. So, no, really, uh, when did Sons and Daughters launch? Was it about a year ago? Uh, actually, it's about two years ago now. Two years ago. Yeah, two years ago. We we got together, the the four of us. Um, my brothers and I, there's, there's four of us who so we were talking about what we wanted to do for the next generation, because my, my parents who are the founders of messenger international, they've empowered us to reach the next generation. And we know every generation has a different language. Like there's a, there's a commonality amongst generations, but every generation has its nuance. So it was like, how do we communicate the messages and the values of our organization to that next generation? And so we were sitting around and came up with some ideas and also realized one of the unique things about us and our dynamic is we're four brothers who genuinely love each other and work together. And we're yeah. like, so that's, that's unique. Like we have a unique family dynamic and, um, and what we do. And so let's, let's make that a central part of this sons and daughters theme and focus. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And uh, totally off script. This has nothing to do with you. This is purely collateral damage of being who oh, you man. are. Uh, but okay. your dad wrote the book Bait of Satan, and yes. I, I think we have your mom on the show tomorrow. Tomorrow, your mom's right? going nice. to be on the show tomorrow. Not nice. your plan. And I will repeat this story, but this is my shot, right? <laughs> the shot, Rob. the book Bait of Satan changed my life. Yeah, and I don't have time to get into the whole story, but just as an affirmation of you, of Messenger wow. International, of what your family has done. Uh, I know that millions of people have probably said that about that book and rightfully so, but wow. you're looking at a guy who's in pastoral ministry today because of that book. And so thanks for what you guys do. We love you. And uh, just very, very honored to have yeah. you on the show. If you don't know who Addison are, they're yeah. John and Lisa Bevere. So uh, most of the Christendom circle will know those names. They're authors, speakers, incredible people. Yeah. Um, and this is not the the John and Lisa show. This is about what Adam. I just I <laughs> just had to throw it out, out there. But, I'm but just listen, throwing it I'm, out there. I'm I'm a big fan, so we could talk about John and Lisa. <laughs> so, I'm, yeah, I'm all for yeah. it. <laughs> I, you mentioned your brothers, and this wasn't this wasn't the questions, but we'll get to some serious things in a minute. But your mom throws shade. Is it your youngest brother? Which one's not married? Alec. Oh, so much shade. Alec. Oh, and it is some of yes. the best Instagram stuff I've ever seen. Like. <laughs> Like he's not married. There's no grandbabies. It's like it's like the the, the sons and the daughters-in-laws, and Alex gets the dog. Like yeah, it's like right. like the Instagram worthy <laughs> stuff is like great. Like it's awesome. So yeah. maybe we'll talk to her yeah. about that tomorrow. But but that's great. So but you are the son of ministers. Um, 
and that's a difficult place. Yeah. My, my grandfather was in ministry. Um, so I, I understand sort of the, the, the road that comes with that. Um, your, your parents are in high profile ministry. How did you come to a place, Addison, of recognizing your own calling? Yeah. Well, I would say my parents did a really good job of not forcing any of us into something, forcing us into a model, forcing the, us to follow in their footsteps. Um, they wanted us to explore what God has for each and every one of us in the different seasons of our lives. And I would also say my parents understood and do understand a concept that so many of us fail to realize, and that's your calling. It isn't something that's discovered. It's something that's cultivated. Mm-hmm. When I when I have conversations with people in their 20s, I'm in my mid 30s. Um, but when I have conversations with people in their 20s and people in their teenage years, I, I sense this like frantic desire to know what people are called to do. Like they're like, how do I know my calling? How do I discover my calling? And it's almost like uh, we treat calling as something that's on a, a list of things we can check off. Like get married, go to college, discover my calling, have kids. But the reality is, as I said earlier, calling, it isn't discovered, it's cultivated. And and it says in Proverbs 20, verse four, that purpose in the heart of a man is like deep waters, but a man of understanding draws it out. So our calling is something that requires us to go back to it again and again and again. This idea of deep waters, it's an allusion to a well. You don't draw from a well one time. You keep going down and you draw it out, you draw it out, you draw it out. And I think this desire to know what we're quote unquote called to do is actually a grasp for control. We want to figure out what we're called to do so we can remove God from the mix. We can remove trust from the mix. We can remove uncertainty from the mix and we can plan our lives and order our steps and figure out everything that we need to figure out. So really it's an attempt at idolatry. And what I know about idolatry is anytime we're given over to idolatry, we unmake ourselves. We start Mm -hmm. to lose our bearings. We start to find ourselves in this place of confusion because God is the only one who can exist in the past, present, and future. We only exist in the present. So I tell people all the time, like, look, be present in today, with today, because insight leads to foresight. Yeah. And if you can see what God is doing in the day, you will start to see beyond the day. We see the future through the day. That's a big idea in Matthew 6 when Jesus say, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. What's amazing is that we don't worry about tomorrow. We actually get vision for tomorrow today. Right. So I'm the I'm the COO of a of a global operation. We work as as you mentioned over 150 countries. There's a lot of complexity, a lot of stuff that's happening across the board. And I know for me as a leader, I'm the best leader I can possibly be. I have the most foresight I could possibly have when I'm present in the moment, when I'm aware of the alignment, when I'm aware of what's happening with the people on my team, when I see what God is doing in this moment, I can start to see beyond the moment. So I would I would, because I'm sure a lot of young people listen to this, I would just encourage them, like, use new language. Don't even use the phrase, like, discover your calling. Use, use the phrase, cultivate your calling, because it's a journey. It's not a singular moment in time. Bro, I, you have no idea how much that echoes what we see here uh, on campus in my office nearly on a daily basis when students are around. Obviously, they're not here right now, but sure. um, on any typical day, that a student comes into my office for pastoral care or counseling or whatever, um, there are only two primary conversations they have. One is they're experiencing some kind of identity issue through sexuality or whatever. The yep. second thing is they have no clue why on earth they're here. And it's yep. an issue of calling and vocation, and it comes up over and over and over again. And I think even Barna and some of their studies 
are finding obviously that this is a highlighted area of concern. So the metrics are echoing it. The personal conversations are echoing it. Scripture echoes it. And I think, man, what you're saying right now is, is just so on point. And uh, just the fact that you're digging into this um, at that level is just, it's phenomenal. And I think you said, even before we started recording the show, we're just kind of bantering back and forth that, there needs to be a lot more people echoing the same conversation because yeah. not everybody's going to listen to us. Not everybody's <laughs> going to listen to you. Right. Yeah. So yeah. we need to have a lot more f- people who are, who are cultivating this conversation. So absolutely critical. I love what you're saying. Um, and I love the fact that you are also a, um, you know, a PK, right? So you're a preacher's kid and I'm married to a PK and uh, we all know the horror stories of how that can go awry but how it's sure. going right for you is in this area of being able to cultivate who God has called and equipped you to be. Yeah. And, um, and our faith is not inherited. And that's, that's one of the big things we talk about, yeah. not only on the show, but with college students on a regular basis, you have to own yeah. your own faith. So, yeah, it's so true. And I think I tell- things, and we'll let you chime in, Aston. Sorry, we invited yeah. you to the show and we're taking all the time. No, you're but good. One of the things that we used to say when we were undergraduates, and I think it's still true, some people come to places like Lee University or other ministry endeavors, their their mama called, like mama said you're a preacher, so now you're going to go preach. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and what I love what you're saying is, is your parents cultivated it, inspired, encouraged, but you had to draw some things out of yourself. Yes. What, what were some of those things and some of them crossroads that you came to where you go, yeah, this is who I am? Yeah, well, I think we have to get comfortable knowing we, we don't know everything about who we are. So this, this pressure to label ourselves is an artificial pressure that doesn't come from God. Yeah. It actually comes from a secular idea of calling. So I think we all need to be okay with being works in process. Like that's, that is okay. I, uh, I joke with people when I have this conversation with them, I quote that, uh, that famous line from a few good men. I tell people like, they want to know the truth of why God put them on this earth. I'm like, I tell them you can't handle the truth. If you knew everything that God has in store for you, yeah. or if you, if you could truly look at the narrative of your life, you would exhaust yourself trying to manufacture, trying to bring about plans that only God can align and and make possible in your life the key is to be faithful with the moment the key is to be faithful with the season and to realize that what you do right now in this moment in time is just as significant as what you will do 10 years from now so be present be in this moment lean into what god has for you so for me i honestly did not think i would be in quote unquote vocational ministry uh, my my schooling, all of that was was in business. Like that's I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like that was the direction I was headed. I I honestly I didn't like the comparisons to my parents. I would have people come up to me all the time and be like, "You're called to preach and write books like your dad." I'd be like, "You have no idea who I am. You don't know me. Like why are you saying this to me right now? You're just yeah. saying that because you just heard my dad preach a message or whatever." And, and so I ran from that. And then when I was in my um, mid-20s, I remember I was cleaning my garage and, and God like fell on me when I was in the garage and his presence, it was so strong. And he said to me, he said, I have called you. I've called you to do this. I've called you to be a voice to your generation. What are you going to do about it? And I remember in that moment being like, okay, 
this is a crossroads moment in my life. Like, I need to give him an answer. And I remember saying yes. And then I turned the knob to open the door to go into my house. And I thought in that moment, like I, the prodigal son has finally said yes. You know, things are going to be different. Like things are going to align beautifully. The next four years of my life were absolutely brutal. And it felt like I said yes to God and that God sent me in the complete opposite direction. And, and it, was in, it was in that season and other seasons of my life where I've seen the character that is needed because God really doesn't need us to do anything. Even this idea of like a dream that he places inside of us or a calling he has for his life, for our lives, it's really about discovering him. Like it really is about discovering him through that journey of contribution, through that journey of realization. It's about discovering him. And, and so he invites us to be a part of something that's so much bigger. But when we make an idol of the calling, an idol of the thing that he's called us to, we miss out on what it's pointing to. So for me, it was a season of, of that idolatry in my own life, in my own heart being broken down so that I could serve and I could fulfill the calling that he's placed in my life from a place of humility and a place of dependence on him. Yeah, man. That's so awesome. I, I will go off script again here a little bit. I'm sorry. I'm not obeying the rules today. That's just, that's just the kind of mood I'm in, but, but I think, I don't think in the small blurb of what you just said without listening to it again, people aren't going to catch the magnitude of what you just described on the mundane of cleaning out your garage, that's where God chose to intervene, right? Yes, uh, yes. And then, and then it wasn't all, all, you know, peaches and roses from that point forward. There was a period of time where it's like, okay, that was the wrong decision or, you know, that decision was just dumb or whatever, right? So there's so much stuff that's happening yeah. in, that, in that brief kind of explanation that you gave. So here's, Here's what I'm saying, and you just, you just mentioned it, about the idol of the calling, right? The yeah. idolatry of, of, of the calling. I don't think it would be a far stretch. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that we have certainly created an idol out of preaching and out of pastoral ministry, especially in our mm -hmm. American Western context. And in this season, and I hate to bring it up that we're in right now with the coronavirus, where everything is being stripped away. By the way, no one's singing that song right now when all is stripped away. And I simply, ain't nobody singing that, right? Ain't nobody singing that song right now. You know what I'm saying? Rob, you got you to sing it for us right now? No, yeah, no way. Bring that. <laughs> that, that would lose all 12 of our followers. All 12. Um, but no, the point is, the point is, we see the stripping down right now of that idolatry. And I, I don't mean that in the yeah. negative because we're huge local church people, we're not here to criticize pastors in a local church. Right, sure. So for you, how are you seeing this, this moment, this context, the, the, re, the stripping down or the removal of or the taking down of the idolatry of calling from this point forward, let's say in a month or two months when we kind of get on the backside, hopefully, of this crisis, as a young leader, as an as a innovator, as an entrepreneur, sons and daughters, where do we go from yeah. here? Well, and I'm sure y'all heard this going into 2020. I heard so much about 2020 vision and roaring 20s and what God is going to do this year. And don't get me wrong. Like I'm, I believe that God is moving in a profound way in 2020. I, I fully believe that. 
But I do think there was this expectation for God to do something extraordinary in 2020. There was this expectation for, for God to, to, do, to do something that we've been longing for, longing to see for many years. I think there have been many prophetic words that have spoken into 2020. Uh, but, but here's going back to that concept of idolatry. Normally when, when God says he's going to do something or God promises to move on our behalf, we normally want that to fit within the mechanisms that we've contrived. And I think, I think what God is doing is God is using the virus, using the virus. Now, am I saying that God is the, the author of the virus that God is behind? Like, no, I'm, it says in Romans 11 that his ways are so far beyond ours. I don't presume to cast that kind of judgment. What I do know that judgment comes to the earth for the sake of the righteous. I do know that God judges his people not to get rid of them, but to get rid of the things that would get rid of them. He brings judgment for the sake of intimacy. So we, as the people of God, we can stand confident in this season. But what I do know is God will use this virus to create substance in his body substance in his church. I believe that the gospel message and the expression of the gospel is being decentralized from our cute, comfortable, little cultural expressions. And we as the people of God are having to realize what it is to be the church outside of the literal four walls of the church. And that's making a lot of people uncomfortable, but it's also galvanizing a lot of people. We're seeing some extraordinary things across the board in the body of Christ in this season. So in my, in my personal belief, I don't think the body of Christ was ready for the harvest that God intends mm -hmm. to bring to his people. So what's happening in this season is there is a foundation, there's a substance that's being created that's going to allow us to sustain as the people of God, the influx and the harvest that is to come in 2020 and beyond 2020. So we made it about 2020 in this year, but I believe it's so much bigger than 2020. I believe that God is preparing his church, his people for a move of God that extends far beyond 2020. And, and I know we're going to talk about saints later, but if you look at Ephesians 4, where it talks about five, the fivefold expression of the church, what is the purpose of the fivefold expression? To equip the what? The saints for the work of the ministry. And so what's happen, happening is this decentralization of the gospel, sending the saints out, mobilizing the people of God, deconstructing the barriers between the secular and sacred, reclaiming every inch of God's good world, realizing that the world needs a gospel message that is bigger than a cultural expression. Go and uh, preach, brother. <laughs> you can do that on this show. To sons and daughters today <laughs> to bless them. No, man, that, that is that's awesome. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I think what we're seeing, Addison, and I think it's ringing true is we're much more kingdom focused than sort of yes. what Larry Osborne was on the show, like January. He said, we got to build kingdoms and not castles. And where I think we've been pushed right now with everything that we face is that we have to build the kingdom and not our individual house because the house can't hold anybody, you know, nobody so can come to the house. So we've got, so to, we've got to build the kingdom. And I think that's what we're seeing. Um, we're seeing churches who have capacity to do recordings, open their yeah. stage and their studios yeah. up to record. It's such a, a much more kingdom narrative now than we've ever seen. Um, yeah. I think the challenge is what ha how do we respond once we can go back to our houses um, and what the church does with that at that point. Um, but one of the things sons and daughters is that you guys do is you've sort of been at this decentralization. You have pockets of groups that meet all over. 
Um, how, how did you get to that expression to sort of release people to create these little groups? Yeah, and we're not an organization that tries to work around the, the local church. We work right. through the local church. So we're, we're not at all in this place of like, hey, let's diss the local church. Let's pick on the local church. The reality is just like a Paul's letters. The, the local church has been broken since day one. So it's not hard to find reasons to criticize the church. Mm -hmm. uh, but what we want to do is we want to help people realize what it means to be the church, what it means to, to have this sense of purpose and meaning invade our everyday mundane existence. Because I, I'm, I'm concerned that when people look at their lives, they see Sunday as this, this spiritual, this sacred expression. And then the rest of their lives, they just kind of make it through. They, they maybe look for these, these little moments, little pockets in time of meaning, but for the most part, most part, they're just stuck in the drudgery of existence. And that's so sad. And it's so, uh, so opposite of what God intends for his people. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to help people see themselves as ministers of the gospel, regardless of their vocation, their language, their financial position, their occupation. Like we want them to see themselves as ministers of the gospel. So we have groups, I think in over 30 countries now, uh, people who are leading during this time, they're gathering through Zoom, they're gathering in person if they're able to, uh, they're, they're working with churches un, under the umbrella of their church, but there's also people who are estranged from the traditional church who are finding community and finding purpose within this context. So that's, you know, that's what we do. We, we call them ambassadors. There's an application process that people go through, and then we give them tools, we give them language, we give them really basic curriculum on what it means to gather, what it means to lead, what it means to mobilize. And we're, and we're helping them do what they, what they need to do in this season. That's awesome. And uh, I love this idea of language. And so um, kind of reframing back to this conversation of, of calling and language, um, obviously culture is different. Obviously uh, the seasons and the times are different than, than maybe they were in the past. And so are we seeing less preachers language and more influencers language? Like how is that being played out in real time? I think across the board, like, so are we just calling ourselves different names and doing the same things or is there in a different expression of what we're actually doing? Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think heart and intent, I think those things are being exposed in this season. So people who are genuinely interested in ministering to others, like that's, that's the purpose of their work. They're, they're innovating with the times. They're looking for ways to add value, to serve, to contribute, to speak into the lives of people. I know for us as an organization, we've been asking, how do we build people? in this time. It's not a question like, how do we make money? How do we sustain operations? Right. It's a matter of how do we build people? How do we lend strength in this season? And money always follows ministry. So yep. if you focus on creating value for people, like there, there will be reciprocity. It just, it works like that. So, so that's what we're looking at as far as influencers. I mean, this, like the whole idea of a platform and like platform ministry and stuff, like, I mean, y'all know that kind of stuff. And maybe I'm a little jaded just because I'm, I'm in the world and I've seen like behind the scenes and stuff like it, it messes with me. It really does. Like if a platform isn't used for service, if it's used just for promotion, it starts to look really ugly very quickly. And so for us, we're asking like, how do we use our platforms to serve? But we all have platforms. Like 
I have a platform here in my neighborhood. I have a platform as a neighbor to the neighbors in this neighborhood. So I'm asking myself, how do I use my platform, which is my position here on Kennebec Pass Trail, my street, how do I use my platform to serve the neighbors to, to meet the real challenges and to uh, locate the real opportunities here in my world? So all of us have a platform. You don't have to have half a million social followers to have a platform. We all have a platform. And this is, this is going back to the idea of the decentralization of the gospel message. Like we all need to see ourselves as saints. We all need to see ourselves of stewards of the mystery of the gospel and what that means for our individual worlds. It's interesting that about a hundred years ago, there was another pandemic that was going around. It was one of the influences. I can't remember exactly which one, but I've been seeing like old newspaper articles, old religious writings and articles where services were canceled and states were shutting down churches, not because of religious freedom, but because of concern and fear of the influenza. I think it was about 1918. So about a hundred years ago, a little over a hundred years ago, we were as a country facing a very similar kind of situation as we're facing now. And it's this idea of using your platform as a good neighbor, heavily biblical idea, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, to, to reshape the world. And I think, yeah. I think, you know, I, you're so right when, when we say that, that God is not using this virus as punishment, but he's using it as a possibility for us to radically shift the culture that we've been praying to shift. Right. Yeah. So, so I, you know, this is another off topic conversation. I'm going to do another video. I'm sorry. This is just the day. This, this, <laughs> no, is, no, 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 this it, is it today. Deep right? Water, so, deep water right here. Rob, you, from that you, so I am sorry. You, you got it. the brunt of this. Whoever's next, they'll get the second he's half. Not, but, he's not been able to speak in chapel for like oh, a month. So, so you're like, this is chapel service for you. All, like, all, all my words. Count as your chapel credit, Addison. I got to use all my words uh, at once. No, but um, – it's, it's amazing to me, and I'm glad I see it, but how many people are praying right now for relief or for healing or for God to intervene or for, you know, there to be some shift in the change or the, you know, the, the speed or whatever of how this virus spreads. And I thank God for that. But why pray if it doesn't have an actual effect? And I think it goes back to something you said earlier, the character of our faith is yeah. so much more important than the outcomes because the outcomes yeah. belong to God. And I think if we can take this moment, and I, I mean, I would like for you to kind of speak into this as well, because you just mentioned it, this generation, Gen Z, millennials, man, they are after significant, but real change. And this is an yeah. opportunity for us to tap into the heart and the minds of a Gen Z millennial generation that wanted, want to do this. And, and as older leaders, Jeff and I are, we call ourselves older, not old yet. <laughs> We're extras. How do you guys we... don't look, you guys, you guys don't look that old. Just for thank the you. Thank That's, you. The new MacBook does wonders I'm, for us. Let me flip my hair <laughs> on, on the podcast. I'm flipping my hair um, and, and I'm blushing, but uh, how do we as, as leaders come beside yeah. the next generation and empower them to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think our generation, and I'm, and I'm speaking as, as a millennial, I'm an old millennial. Our generation has been fed and we believe the lie that comfort is the ultimate aim in life. Mm. And we've had up to this point, really like the millennials have had a really easy go 
of life. Like we just have, we haven't really had to face off with some of the challenges, wars, economic struggles that previous generations had to endure, had to navigate. So we've had it pretty easy and, and we are, and of course I'm speaking generally, one of the most narcissistic, uh, self-absorbed, self-interested uh, generations ever. And, and I'm concerned that the gospel message that we presented to millennials has, has pandered them, has encouraged mm. this, this ideology. And, and you and I, I mean, we, we know this, the three of us know this, like people don't find something worth living for until they find something worth dying for. Mm. And I think what's happening in this season, people are realizing that their comfort, their security, it's being shaken, but there's actually more important things in life. Like they're actually starting to wake up and to see, wait a second, there are more meaningful parts of existence that I need to lean into, that I need to search out. And I think it's from what I've seen in just different people in my world, I think it's waking some people up to the yeah. fact that life has to be bigger than you. Okay, so let's go back to my calling. So when you have when you have conversations with people, that's the phrase, my calling. I want to know what my calling right. is. So when I when I think of a, a, a textbook Christian, I'm talking about a cultural Christian, uh, I think of I think of this idea of salvation that that's very um, self-focused. My calling my salvation, my ticket into heaven, my condemnation, free living. It's very self-centered, self-focused, right? What, what is the first word of the Lord's prayer? Our father who is in heaven. Like the first word is an affront on this idea that this journey yeah. of salvation, this journey of what it is to be a Christian community, it's so much bigger than the individual. And, and so I think we have an opportunity right now for us to be like, look, you're not going to find the meaning that you crave until you start to view your life through the lens of something bigger than you. And the struggle that's happening across the globe is inviting us to see our world, both the quote unquote Christian world and the greater world through a new lens. Yeah. And, and as that happens, I think people are going to start to wake up to the purpose and the opportunity and the gifts that God has placed inside of them. So that's how I think it's galvanizing. Uh, the the younger generations. I think it's going to create substance in them. I've also been telling people something that God has put on my heart about this season. And I've seen this in my own life when I've navigated hard seasons. But the, the things that I mine from scripture and from the presence of God in a hard season of my life, those things become banners over my life for the rest of my life. And I believe this is a season when a generation is going to start to find some things in the word of God that, that are going to be banners over the generation for the rest of their lives. And so thank, thank God that this yeah. season is going to be a season that produces substance and courage and tenacity. Like we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. This is the opportunity for us to realize what it is to be people of faith and, per, and persevere and realize the salvation of our souls, realize what it is to be whole, what it is to, to have the, 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 the full expression of the gift of salvation instead of limiting it to this small individualistic idea. Yeah. Anybody who quotes Hebrews 10, 38 and 39 is a fan of mine. So I'm, I'm huge. Yeah. Yeah. That's like one of my life verses, bro. Go ahead. So. Yeah. yeah no. <laughs> I mean, we talked about in, in your book addresses it in um, this idea of the nuns, the rise of the nuns and those that claim no religious affiliation. Barna's done some research on it. 
it's really the reason we've said this over and over. I think every episode of the reason we started the podcast is because we were trying to answer the question and didn't have answers. We went to, we went to write a book and, and you went and did it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're in our dreams. Um, tells on to put ours on hold. Right. Uh, no. um, so, but, but we know this is true that, that there's this, this group of people who are claiming no religious affiliation. Yeah. I think a lot of it comes out of what we talked about, this cultural faith expression that was meant to be attractive, but became very unattractive to people who are looking for something authentic. Yeah. And I, we can't predict what's going to happen, but, but from our perception, from your perception, will, will this critical season, this, this space we're in right now that's pushing for authentic expressions, do you think it will become, and I hate to use the word attractive, but attractive to those who have left. Well, let me let me share let me share a story to answer that question. So I was in Nashville doing a doing a book tour for Saints, and I was eating at one of the local eateries, and I got to talking with the manager of the restaurant, and he asked me what I was doing in, in Nashville, and I told him, and he looked at me, and he's like, "Man, I haven't been to church in two decades." He's like, "I used to be a choir boy," and is a typical stuff, disillusion with church, disillusion with God, doesn't really believe in God. And, and we, you know, so we just got to talking and then he, and then at one point in the conversation, he leans over and he goes, but Addison, after I've drank a few beers and I smoked a couple joints, I got to be honest with you. I start thinking about God. <laughs> and, I, and I just, and, you know, and I just started laughing. And, did did and you just, say me too? I, <laughs> no, <laughs> and I, let's and be I clear. Just, that is not an outreach I mean, plan. You are in Colorado, so no, I mean, I am in Colorado, so but no, I was in Nashville when this when this happened. But but I just looked at him and I said, "Man, that's because Ecclesiastes three eleven says eternity was written on your heart." Yeah, I was like, "There is something hardwired into the fabric of your being. You were created for intimacy with your Creator, and you cannot deny that." And, and I said, you try to find the life that you crave at the altars of sex, stuff, and status. First John 2, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. You've been looking for it at those three altars, and it's left you spent. You can't deny it. And he leaned over, guys. He leaned over, and he goes, do you see the goosebumps on my arms? Do you see the go- Like, what's happening to me? And I just said, God's chasing you. God's after you. You were, you were made for something more than what you've seen. And I had a copy of the Saints book there and I handed it to him and signed it to him. And he's like, thank you. I'm going to start reading this as soon as I get off my shift. Okay. So here's a guy that 10, 10 minutes earlier was saying he didn't want anything to do with church, disillusioned, yeah. didn't believe in God. And here I'm giving him an explicitly biblical book saying, here you go, read it. And he's excited to read it. So I think, I think language is everything, right? There's a reason why the world there's a reason why the culture is starting to say, hey, we're moving into a post-Christian world. Like they're very strategic with their language. I'm sure you guys are hearing that term more and more. It's almost like they're saying, we tried that whole Christianity thing. It didn't work. So now we're going to move on to DIY spirituality. We're going to move on to secularism. We're going to move on to something bigger and better. But I, I would argue we've never really given it a fair shake. Like we really haven't. We tried it. We found it to be too hard. And then we started creating these caricatures or these spinoffs of what it means to actually be a follower of Jesus. So when I look, when I look at the New Testament, I find something that's really interesting. I find that the word Christian 
is used only three times. And you guys know this, Acts 11, Acts 26, I think it's 1 Peter 4, three instances where the word Christian is used. That's it. And in all three, when you actually dive into the text, it's actually used in a derogatory sense. All three of them, even what Peter writes. You got to dig a little deeper into what Peter writes, but all three of them, it's used in a derogatory sense or there's a derogatory context. But if you look all throughout the New Testament, you find the Greek word hagios or saints used as the identifier for the early church. And just think about the Apostle Paul, how he would use it when he was writing to, the, to these young churches. He would say to the saints in Corinth, to the saints in Philippi, to the saints in Ephesus. He was calling them saints. Now, those were Gentiles. I mean, just read those letters. Like they... They were struggling, right? Like they, they were so broken people. They were trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus in their world. And yet today, when we think of a saint, we think of dead people. We think of people with halos on their head. We think of people who are canonized by the institutional church. But if we look at how it was used in scripture, saints were the people who were energized by the vision of God's kingdom. Saints were the people who leaned into the tension of the gospel message. To be a saint is to be a person who is profoundly present. It actually has nothing to do with what has been. It has everything to do with what is and what will be. So that's why I'm going after this idea of becoming more than quote unquote Christians, because the cultural identifier of Christian has become very cheap. It's, it's, it means everything and nothing. But when we look at this idea of saint, we actually see an identifier that invites us back into the central theme and heart of the gospel message, which is the kingdom of God. So when you look at a saint, a saint is someone who merges the worlds of what is and what will be. They're people who practice and participate in the mystery of the final day. They're people who lean into a mission and a vision that is bigger than their false self and requires them to awaken to the true self, what it is to be fully alive in Christ. So if you look at humanism and secularism, you find these ideas of false self and true self or shadow self. That's all language stolen from the biblical narrative. Like some of our best stuff is getting stolen and used against us. Yeah. And we're too lazy, too ignorant, too whatever to realize, realize that this is happening. And y'all know language is everything. So, so my goal with this idea of saints, I'm not attacking the identifier of Christian. Although I do think saints is a much better identifier from a biblical standpoint. Rather, I want to offer fresh language for a world that's losing hope in religion. I want to offer fresh language for people who are ashamed to call themselves a Christian. They're not ashamed of Jesus. They're not ashamed of the word of God. They're not ashamed of the standard that God's word calls us to. But they are ashamed of the stereotypes, the stigmas, and the labels that have come to be known as, you know, that have attached themselves to this idea of a cultural Christian. So that's, that's what I'm going for with this idea of saints. And if we look at the early church, like what were they doing? They were subverting cultural norms. They were turning the world upside down. They were reconciling people that didn't really belong together. Like society said, these people didn't belong together. They were doing things that were unprecedented. Why? Because they came together under a banner of a kingdom mission that required them to lay down their differences that required them to look beyond some of the frustration and some of the friction and some of the challenges that naturally come when different people come together. And that's what we need today. We need to invigorate a generation with this vision of what it means to be the people of God that is going to give them the purpose, the meaning, and the hope that they crave. We, um, 
we're obsessed and y'all know this. We're obsessed with the idea of the good life. That's part of the reason why people want to discover their calling. They want to find that ever elusive good life. Uh, if you look at the top selling books, the best podcasts, you'll see this theme of the good life, even going way back to like to the old days, looking at philosophy, tell us the flourishing life. Like, how do we find this? People are looking for that. And my argument, like my point in this book is the good life. It isn't something that you find. It isn't something you achieve. It isn't something that you earn. It isn't something you experience. It's someone you become. And so the good life is actually synonymous with this idea of waking up, becoming a saint. And that's really what a saint is. A saint is someone who wakes up in this lifetime as opposed to waiting to the next. There's a reason why Jesus and the gospel message always begins with the invitation to repent. Repent is turning from what you have known to see something greater. And this is a season for us as the people of God to say, look, we need eyes to see ears to hear, heart to perceive and understand. God, you are doing something greater than anything that we have seen. We need to lean into that greater vision. We need to be Hebrews 11 people, people who the world is not worthy of. And because the world isn't worthy of us, we're exactly what the world needed. We're catalytic. We create, we can see the unseen. We're people of change. And that can't just happen in our small Christian bubbles. We've got to go back. In the Y'all know this, in the 1700s with the Enlightenment, this division between the secular and sacred really came onto the scene. The arts, science, industry, yeah. that's secular. Mm -hmm. Sacred, we're going to keep our church buildings and our prayer groups. Y'all, that's just, that's ridiculous. When we look at Isaiah 11, 9 and back at 2.14, the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the seas. We need to realize that our view of what the gospel means for this world is way too small. We need to get outside of our comfort zones. And I think a part of that is a new a new identity and new language around that identity to inspire action and to plant people within a greater purpose man that is awesome uh yeah so um <laughs> show's over no i think uh this whole this whole i, I love this this concept of in of reclaiming the idea of becoming saints so the couple things number one your promo video for the book is legit like i just you know i love the way you set that up for the promo so i could hear you thank echoing. you the same sort of sentiments and passion in that. So there's a reclaiming and we talk a lot on the show about reclaiming art. In fact, a lot yeah. of our guests talk about reclaiming art, reclaiming creativity, reclaiming a lot of these things that I think are not only belonging to the church, but they're belonging to our creative design by God. God created yes. us to be creative, right? So, yes. so in reclaiming a lot of those things, uh, as you know, it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost of cultural dissonance. It comes at a cost of being labeled a heretic or rebellious or yep. an outsider, whatever language you want to throw in there. But in that process, I can also see the tension in the local church of moving away from this idea of cultural Christianity into this saint. I don't want to say sainthood in the, in the, in the right. Catholicism. Catholic, yeah. Catholic. Uh, those sure. words those words you know those yes words. <laughs> we're, we're all about Thank the language you. today all about the language all, all the words i don't see it in, in that res, in that respect like you said yeah. you know when we think of a saint we think of a dead person but right. in the sense in the sense of reclaiming this terminology of saint it seems very haughty to walk around calling ourselves saints yeah right you, you understand it, what i'm it's, saying it's true and that's because that's because of the the connotation and that's because of the idea that we have around this idea of saying 
but again, like go back and read, like for instance, I, I just finished reading some stuff from, from origin. I know some people consider him a heretic, but reading some of his stuff and just looking at his language, he didn't use the word Christian once. And the work that I read from him, he didn't use the word Christian once. He used the word saint through the entire work. And so this is like, we have to realize this is it. When the early church, when they were disrupting the status quo, when they were turning things upside down, like they, they were called saints and there's something provocative about that term. But it's and more I, than I a title. It's it, more than a title. It's, it's who a way you of are. living. It's an essence exactly. of the core. It's the transformation that happens as a result of a divine encounter with a holy God. That it's actually is, a fam- it, yeah, it's a familial. It's actually a familial term. Yes. So it's actually saying since you are a son or daughter of God, you are a saint. Like it's a part. It's like what what John writes in First John three about this idea in Greek. It's sperma. Like his seed yes. is inside you. Right. It's like what Peter writes in Second Peter one, how you become partakers of the divine nature. Like when when we think of a saint, we think of people who like do all these these good deeds and excel in morality. It's so much bigger than that. It's actually about being his. So saints are people who wake up to the realization that we're his, that we are sons and daughters, that we are children of God, that we are ambassadors for the kingdom here and now. Like that's what it is to be a saint. It has nothing to do with this idea of moral perfection. In fact, the, the truth is, and I, and I love this encounter in Isaiah 6, what, what are, what are the, the seraphim, what are they yelling as they encounter God? So Isaiah gets his vision of God in the throne room. They're yelling, holy, holy, holy. They're not saying love, love, love. They're not saying faithful, faithful, faithful. Is God those things? Yes, they're saying holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah in that moment, his response is, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. But what yeah. he really says in Hebrew is, woe is me, I must be quiet. In other words, he's saying like, I can't put words to what I am seeing. So when we think of holiness, we think of rules and regulations, but holiness in its truest sense means otherness. It means something that's so far beyond anything that we've seen and known that we can't even put words to it. So when God is calling us holy, when he's calling us to be like him, he's inviting us into a way of being that we can only tap into by grace and by believing what he speaks over us, by embracing what he has declared over us, it's not something we can earn our way into. It's something that we wake up and start to see. I had, a, I had cataract surgery a couple years ago. And I know I'm way too young for cataracts, but I had a trauma-induced cataract. And for those who are listening don't know what a cataract is, it's when you get a fog on your lens and it obscures your vision. So what they have to do, in, do is they go in and they actually cut out the lens and they put an artificial lens in. So, you know, really fun. So they went in and they did that and they, they cut out my lens. And, and I've had this cataract since, you know, since before I was born. So I've had it my whole life. They went out and they cut out the lens, put a, put a new one in there. But I still saw blurry. There were some complications. I ended up having to get another surgery. Uh, I'll, I'll, make this, I'll make this story brief. I ended up having four, four operations on my eye, okay? Oh. After the fourth operation, I'm sitting down with the doctor. I still can't see clearly. And I'm like, doc, what is going on? Why can't I see clearly? I've had four procedures. And he looked at me and said, Addison, there's nothing I can do to make your eye better. There's nothing I can do to make your vision more clear. He's like, you have a perfectly clear lens. He said, your brain is still convinced that you're seeing through a fog. So you're seeing through a fog. There are so many followers of Jesus. They have new life. They are living in the new creation realities. Like Paul says in Galatians 6, the only thing that matters is new creation. 
that is their reality but they're not leaning into the journey of the process of renewing their mind. This is why the theme of mind renewal is all throughout scripture. They haven't leaned into the tension of, okay, God, I see myself like this, but you speak this over me in your word. Like they, they're not leaning into that detention. They're living in, in the smallness of what has been. And saints are people who say, look, I don't know if this makes sense. I don't, um, I don't fully understand why you see me like this or why you say these things are possible about my life, but I'm going to lean into that. And by doing so, I'm going to find the grace to do the things that are far beyond anything that I could conceptualize. Wow. I, I'm just taking notes. Like I'm in class here. Like, uh, I, I so think basically I'm going to have you come as a chapel speaker. That's kind of yeah, what this boils well, down to. That, that too. <laughs> you talk about language and, and I wrote down the word because uh, an interesting word, that is being used in our culture right now is this term woke. Like everybody's woke. getting woke. Um, Saints are people are woke, man. I know. And that's that's what came to mind. I'm like, look, like, you got a whole new line of things you can sell there with a t-shirt that says woke and it means something different. But, but that really that's what you're saying that, that we come awakened to the things of God and, and that right. we are. And I, and I think this is so true. We've been asleep to things that, that God is trying to do in our life, that God has been trying to reform and, and reshape. Um, and, and this idea of mind renewal, I think, has come out of, like art. I think it's been stolen by the world. There's yep. a lot of books right now on shame, on other ways of, of overcoming some emotional and mental struggles. And, and you're right, scripture is flooded with the renewing of your mind or think on these things, or change the way you think. And I think I grew up, this is one of the struggles I think I had growing up, in a, in a heart church, like you ask Jesus into your heart, and he's going to make your heart clean, and, and that was supposed to be the end of it. Like, I, me, yeah. my heart is okay, but my thinking was still bad. So how does, as a saint, in your description, and I think that's what we are, how do we get sort of the both? you know, yeah. get the I salvation part and, and what we would call sanctification and, and yeah. really sort of reshape how we see ourselves and how God sees us. All right. This is, this is cheesy, but you guys are going to appreciate this. I actually call it sanctification now. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> come on. Same root, you know, same, same root. Anyway. Uh, so, so two, two things I would say on that. Number one, you, you use the expression woke. There's really no better way to describe this. First, I think it's 1 Corinthians 15, 34, around there, where Paul talks about waking up to the holiness of life. Yeah. Like waking up. He's describing resurrection life. He's describing what is and what will be and the mystery of both. And he's saying, wake up now. Live, live in a way that you're awake now. So my favorite, my favorite verse for what you just, just described is James 1.21 where it says, receive with meekness the implanted word, the logos in the Greek, receive with meekness the implanted word, which has the power to save your soul. And that word for soul is your mind, your will, your emotions, it's your vitality. So we, we have this idea of salvation as a singular moment in time. Conversion is a singular moment in time, but salvation is a journey. And so I love, I love this package. And let me explain what I mean by that. You don't become more saved you just wake up to what it is to be saved mm -hmm. as you journey along. Mm -hmm. So I love James 121 because I think it captures it so beautifully. And I write about this in chapter three of the book, but it says implanted words. So I look at it as a gift that is inside of you, right? 
as you receive with humility and what is humility or meekness, it's the willingness to say, God, I'm going to allow you to define me as opposed to another person or myself. All right. The hardest thing for us to lay down at the foot of the cross is our opinion of ourselves. So the greatest act of humility is saying, God, I'm going to let you define me. And that's what we do. We receive with meekness, receive with humility, the, the, the implanted word. And as we receive it, our mind, our will, our emotions, that tension between our spirit and our flesh, all of that starts to change. So the journey of maturation, the journey of growing in Christ really is a journey into wholeness. It is for freedom that he has set us free. So it's not just about our heart. It's about every fiber of our being. Yeah. It's yeah. about everything. I, I, did a, I did a podcast with a neurosurgeon. So he does brain surgery, right? Like this, this is a sharp guy. And we're talking about this concept. He told me, he said, Addison, neuroscience can only take us so far. And so this is a neurosurgeon saying this, like can only take us so far. He's like, I've seen it with my clients. And we were talking about James 1. And we were talking about this idea of receiving with meekness, the implanted word, and how that changes everything. Like God does things in our mind and in our body because we are broken from a biochemical and a physiological standpoint, we are broken. But when we receive the implanted word, there is a miraculous work of new creation that spreads throughout our entire being. And that's what it is to receive with meekness the implanted word. That is what it is to be humble. So grace, the grace of God, the amazing work and effect of grace, grace does things in us that we could never do for ourselves, right? Grace changes how we feel by changing what we see. Y'all see this in Christendom. We're always trying to change what people do, but we don't take the time to get them to change what they see. And that, that just doesn't work. Jesus did this so beautifully. He took the time to get people to see their world differently. And as they saw their world differently, they started to feel something different. And as they started to feel something different, they started to live differently. So it is, it is a complete transformation. This idea of like segmenting it out and being like, okay, so this is holy and this is not holy. Like this is what God will do for you or this is what salvation's work will do for you. And then the rest you need to turn to secular science or whatever. Like that's just, that's ridiculous. All science, and we will see this when it's all said and done, all science in its pure form points to and confirms the miraculous work of new creation, all of it. Because that is what, as it says in Romans 8, all of creation, the entire cosmos, everything is waiting for that, for number one, the saints, the sons and daughters to realize what it is to be stewards of God's good creation and to wake up to the reality and the mystery and the finality of God's good work that is being worked out in our world that already not yet eschatology that we're a part of right now Mm -hmm. in this moment. Like that's what it means to be fully alive. That's what it means to live a life of purpose. And, and that is very personal that happens inside of us so that we have a testimony to share with the world around us. Wow. Okay. Um, (laughs) next cheesy question, (laughs) man, you're blowing. I think I, personally, I can't say this. Never mind. I'll say this later, but maybe after we're done recording, that there's something I want to say, but I think this concept of, of saints, this awakening, this being woke, this ability to, to see or not see, right? So the, the eye is healed, but, but the lens is still cloudy, right? Those, those yeah. often come yeah. down to choices. Those often come down to decisions or, 
uh, preferences uh, of our faith, right? So that's that piece. So if we go back to this idea of saints being woke, if we come back to this this conversation, and I know we're kind of running out of time here, we, but um, a good friend of ours, Chris Durso, do you know Chris Durso? Just renamed yeah, yeah. Okay. He named it. Yeah, we've been we, yeah, we've been messaging him. Yeah. Oh, good, was, good, good. He was Great actually. Guy. I've got a I've got a Saint shirt like on. That. He, he, he there posted, you go. Yeah, he posted he posted a picture of him uh, rocking his Saint shirt. There you so, go. So yeah. <laughs> so I had a I had a student uh, actually because Chris was here last semester came spoke for us. Um, I had a student after he was talking about Saint's Church had a student actually come to office and was concerned about, again, this idea of, of the haughtiness or the idea of we call ourselves saints. So yeah. kind of like we've already talked about on the show, I'm not going to repeat everything we said, but it's not the same idea as, as one that comes with a condensation, condon, condescension. Yeah. My words are broken. Yeah. Anyway, it's not arrogant. Condescending. Condescending. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. There we go. You get the unsocialized me. I'm sorry, Addison. But <laughs> it, it's not a condescending thing. It is a sure. is a willingness to put ourselves in position and in place with proper perspective, proper heart attitude, proper mindset, yes. proper open open hands, open heart, open ears, everything you've already said, to literally yeah. become the hands and the feet of Christ on earth. Yes. So we, as we kind of wrap up this conversation, first of all, get the dang book, <laughs> okay? <laughs> read it, right? Read it. Uh, get the book, read it, um, and, and, and process that. Process what, what's being said in that book. And, um, and then take this concept of saint, overlap it with your concept of culture or Christianity, and and deal with that tension i think is is probably some of the encouragement mm -hmm. that we're giving here so i guess uh i guess the final thing for for me before we get to our final question that we have for every show um you talk about this this name this title being christian as stained in its current cultural expression of christianity is there any redeeming that term or, or are we in a process or are we in a, in a need to reframe who we are spiritually, globally, as the church of Jesus Christ? That's a great question. And I don't want to come on here and like campaign against the word Christian. That, that word means, means a lot to a lot of people. Uh, I will say this, though. It was used in a condescending way originally. So if we're yes, talking like yes. little Christ, I mean, they're essentially making fun of them. They're, they weren't saying that to compliment them. Uh, and holy ones, when we're calling ourselves saints, we're essentially saying we're, we're kingdom people, we're holy ones. We're actually recognizing that that's only possible by leaning into God. That's only possible by being his. That's not something that we can conjure up in our own power. Uh, so for me, it's like, hey, if, if that term really resonates with you then great there there are some challenges that you will face using that term i've been on airplanes sitting next to people and the moment i tell them i'm a christian everything changes like the conversation the tone everything shifts um i i work out with this guy he told me recently he said you're one of two he's in his 30s grew up in the midwest he said you're one of two real christians i've ever met in my entire life two that's what he told me you're one of two and 
and and I, I wasn't like I wasn't doing anything special. We just work out alongside each other in the gym. And and so there there's some baggage there. Now, the thing that I do like about the term Satan, why I would recognize that people lean into the its tension is if you were to set, tell someone I'm a saint, they they wouldn't have like they would have to look at you and be like, what? Like you would have to explain. You know what I'm saying? Like there like wouldn't just Teresa, be like, a, like oh <laughs> yeah, like like what? So I, I kind of like that. Like, I actually like telling people if they ask me, like, I'd like to, yes, I'm a saint. Because there's no, like, it, it doesn't work. With their preconceived idea of what a saint is, that answer doesn't work. So I actually get to explain what it is. And then when I explain what it is, they're like, wait, that's like, that's what I feel I'm called to, like, in the deepest part of my being, when I'm honest about who I am and, 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 and what I, and I'm not saying everyone should just should drink and smoke weed. But when I find myself in those moments where my mental, you know, when my mental uh, blockades have been ripped down, like that's how I start to see myself. That's what I start to feel for this world. So I, I do think there's something profound in, in using new language in a world that's quote unquote post-Christian. Yeah, we are on a college campus, and for the record, we do not promote no, <laughs> the no. use. No, we do not. Nor do, nor do of we, marijuana or drinking. Nor do we suggest it as an evangelistic no. tool either. Yeah, so. here no. at the university, we do not endorse such tactics. Well, Addison, we, I, we have to put I, a pin I, in this conversation. We we would probably be blessed to have you back on again, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But we have one final question. We we do ask yeah. every one of our guests because we are on a college campus, and we we find great answers from this, but. Uh, what's maybe the greatest lesson you learned in college that didn't take place in the classroom? Yeah, I would, I would say the value because before college, like you're really taught to work by yourself, right? Like everything good, it has to be done on your own. Uh, that starts to shift in college and, and it really starts to shift when you get outside of college. But the value of asking for help, the value of seeing your work, your contribution within, within a, a larger contribution, within a larger work. Because what it does is it positions you in this place of humility and encourages you to ask questions. It encourages you to reach out to experts, to people who are farther along in the journey. And you're not doing something wrong. And at least for me, like it was kind of ingrained in me through school that that was cheating. Like, like somehow like reaching out and asking for help was cheating. And, and so I would, I would tell people learning how to ask for help, learning how to be humble, learning how to admit when you don't have the answers, when you don't know what to do, that will accelerate your growth trajectory. Awesome, yeah. man. How can we stay in touch with you, bro? Uh, I mean, if people want to pick up the saints book, which I would highly recommend, I've heard, I've heard from, this is the ultimate compliment. I've heard from many people that they have no problem buying it and giving it to people who have no context for the Christian faith. Like to me, because it's explicitly biblical, like it's, there's scriptures all throughout it, uh, but they can get it wherever books are sold. Um, and then they can connect with me through primarily Instagram. That's really the only social media thing that I do is Instagram. And even that I do it somewhat begrudgingly. Or uh, AddisonBevere.com is another place. SonsAndDaughters.tv, MessengerInternational.org. I know that's a whole bunch of things. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, there we go. Man. Awesome. Thank you so much, Addison, for coming on. And you just <laughs> dropped so much, so much on us. Like, we're going to have to take a break here and, like, digest it all. But, um, honestly, we would love to have another conversation with you down the road. But as we like to say here at the Collective Scope Podcast, you have a seat at the table. 
Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks, guys. It's a huge honor. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Bucket's Code Podcast. Would you do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review, and share this on social media so this content can reach other great leaders? Yeah.